Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I surprised nobody picked up on our sort of. Oh, you weren't here last week, were you? No. No. We were talking about what Greek heroes, what what fruit equals Greek heroes. All right. I feel like that's a very weird topic not to have an intro into. Well. <laughs> You know, it's the sort of high-level thinking myself and Daniel Cadena Jordan like to do. Of course, yeah. Alex sorry. looked a bit bemused. Obviously. Alex looked a bit bemused when we did it. But we, I don't. Did you read the Odyssey or, or anything like that? We had to in school, yeah. yeah. But how did you get, make the, the comparison of fruits? Well, we were talking about Ajax or Ajax, who was the um, Greek warrior, the kind of the, the very sort of let's say the Roy Keane of the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> and he um, that's another analogy it's gone all over the place here <laughs> anyway we were comparing him to a banana because he's like sort of it's there and it's and it's it's always sort of good but it's not really this sort of it's not the peak fruit okay, you know Achilles, when you like you know when you retell jokes and they're just not as yeah. funny as <laughs> you had to be there I guess yeah. you had to be there <laughs> well, I'm still sort of freaked out by our new surroundings with producer Demo away on holidays mm. we've moved across the hall I, mean, so I like it, I prefer change. it here, actually. You're tell dissing... Dame, tell Damo to stay where he is, yeah. He won't be listening. He might. <laughs> he's on a long flight to India. Yeah. It is India that he's gone to, yeah? yeah. No one's that bored. Dan. <laughs> I think Dan's about to leave right now again. We'll just chat. Dan's just dissing the podcast here. <laughs> anyway, should we crack on with today's podcast? Better out, haven't we? Okay, joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Emily Rauschitz. The usual email if you want to get in touch is podcast at onefootball.com. Get all your questions in there. Or should you wish, you can get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating and leave a comment to let us know how you think we're doing. I don't know if you, you might have missed last week's podcast or do you listen every week? I did miss last week's podcast, oh. I'm afraid, yeah. We're getting five star ratings. Really? Five star ratings in America. Wow. So keep them coming. Are those your cousins, Ian? Well... It's me posting under another name, but look, it all counts. It all counts. Now, originally when I was plotting out the podcast, I had Manchester United further down the order. I assumed they sort of won one nil, boring game before being found out in the next round. <laughs> How wrong I was, Dan. Yeah, you were, weren't you? Yeah. Really yeah. wrong? What yeah. happened? Uh, well, uh, yeah, Sevilla, Sevilla pulled off a, a real turn up for the books, didn't they? Um I mean, United were dreadful. I think that's uh, that's pretty accepted fact, isn't it? Um, and yeah, Sevilla, uh, Wissam Ben Yedda with uh, with a couple of goals there. Uh, a bit of an error from David De Gea for the second goal. And yeah, it was a, a very, very interesting night of football. Not one that you were, you weren't, not like you were delighted about it or no, anything. No, of like course that. not. No, <laughs> no, no, no. In your capacity as a Manchester City fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like you to explain to me and potentially all Manchester United fans out there, is why Marouane Fellaini was starting ahead of Paul Pogba. Mm. This is... His first start since November as well, so it's not like he's a, you know, a, a regular in the team anymore. Um, so he's out, he, he's out of fitness. You're playing a big game you have to win. Yeah. You've got one of the world's most expensive and potentially greatest midfielders at your availability. Uh-huh. And yet you go for Fellaini. Yeah, well, I think it says a lot about the sort of form that Pogba's been in this season. That he's, uh, I mean, he has been injured. Let's mm-hmm. let's get that out of the way. He's uh, he, he did come on for half an hour uh, with half an hour to go. Um, 
but yeah, it says a lot about the way Mourinho sees him at the moment that he's that he's not even sort of risking starting that game. I mean, Scott McTominay has been playing quite well in his absence in in recent weeks and been picked ahead of him a couple of times. So it was it was quite strange to see him drop out of the starting lineup as well at the expense of Fellaini. Who, mm. yeah, I, I don't understand why he's still starting matches for Manchester United at this point. It's, <laughs> it's it says a lot about their malaise really that he's that he's considered someone who they they could throw in like that. Is this a case of keeping Pogba's ego in check? Or is it a, was it a tactical I thing? Really don't. I, I, I genuinely think, I'm baffled by it. I think it probably is that he wasn't 100% fit and, uh, okay. and and his performance when he came off the bench suggested that he wasn't 100% fit as well because he was really, really poor. Um, he came on and I think eight minutes later United went behind. Um, there's that clip that everyone's been watching all week oh, of him yeah. passing the ball straight out of play. And Did you see this, Emily? Yeah, unfortunately I did. Um, after my, I only watched the highlights, but it was actually in the highlights uh, because he was just disastrous. I mean, I think there are a couple of players that didn't show up for United. I didn't see much of Alexis. Who, mm. By the way, what a year he's had. He's missing mm. the World Cup. He went to Manchester United to play Champions League and now mm-hmm. he's out of there. Um, Lukaku kind of showed up a bit too late, I think. His goal was fantastic, but um, before that he missed a couple of chances as well. So I think, like he said, you know, a lot of players were hiding. He did, although he recanted a little bit mm. on that after he must have got a bit of stick from his, his teammates. Uh, uh, Emily has mentioned Alexis. If we mm. were to pick out one player for blame, is is he the man? Yeah, I mean, blame is is hard to ascribe because I think everyone was really, really poor for United, apart okay. from probably Lukaku, who I thought, I thought had quite a good game, but... Um, I mean, it's becoming a real problem with Sanchez. Um, he's been a really, really underwhelming signing for United so far. Um, people are starting to think, did United just sign him to stop City from signing him? And is uh, is there even a place for him in that team? Does he suit Mourinho's tactics and the style of play? Um, I, I read a fascinating stat about him. He, he lost the, the ball 42 times against Sevilla yeah. the other night. Uh, that's now 247 times. Uh, Sorry, he's lost 42 times? 42 yeah. times in that match. 247 in his 10 United games so far. So work it out, that's roughly 25 a game. It's about once every three minutes, isn't it? He loses the ball. Wow. And that it's funny terrible. because when he when he transferred, everyone was like, oh yeah, he fits much better into the United style of play than the City style of play. And mm. this is a much better choice for him. Uh, but it hasn't really been working out. We got a question about him from Distinct Average on Twitter, mm-hmm. who says, the greatest Pep signing Pep never made. I couldn't help feel that Sanchez saga was a deliberate ploy from Pep to distract Man United uh, so he could focus on his real targets. Judging Alexis' performances, was it the greatest mind game ever? <laughs> I, basically asking, you know, was it a ploy? Was it all a ploy? I'd, li- I'd like to think so, but no, I don't think it was. I think okay. City was seriously interested in him. And they walked away because he wanted too much money, which which is something United perhaps should have done in, in hindsight. Um, the, the way, especially the way he's been performing. Um, like I say, he's just, he's just not been good enough. And I think Pep probably would have got more out of him than Mourinho was getting out of him at the moment. And I think that is that is what a lot of United fans are sort of concerned about at the moment is that United keep buying these players, these big name players for lots of money. And yet they start to think, do we have the coach who's actually going to get the potential out of these players and, and get them playing good football at the moment? No, it seems like that, you know, the game is really feels like it's left Jose Mourinho behind this season, Emily, um, especially in Europe. Has the game left Mourinho behind? I mean, I'm not a big Mourinho fan, so maybe bias a little bit here. Um, I think also his comments after the game, I don't think he's a type of coach who can, who really works with his players. He just expects his players. He, you know, he trains them. He's a good coach. He's won a lot of titles, 
But I, I would say he's probably the opposite type of coach as Pep Guardiola um, mm. in terms of working with the players and, and making them, you know, making them adapt to the team, getting out the best of them. And, and similar to what Dan said, I think Pep probably would have done a better job with incorporating Alexis into the team. Oof. But I think his tactics for that Sevilla game were absolutely abysmal. Go on. I mean, he, he's he, he's playing against the, the fifth best team in Spain there, basically. And he was yeah. treating them as if they were the best team on the planet. Um, it's sort of playing the way that he, he used to do when he managed Porto and uh, and into Milan and to a lesser extent Chelsea, you know, trying to trying to nick something from the game. Let's keep it tight, keep it to nil-nil and see if we can uh, we can score the odd goal and win the game. You've got a £300 million squad there. You're playing against Sevilla. Like, Go out and attack them. You've got attacking players. Go for it. Like you can't, you can't play like that as a Manchester United manager or, or a manager of any top club anymore. I think, like I say, I think the game has changed a little bit, and he, he's not really, uh, he's not really caught up with it. It's interesting that you mentioned the attacking. United had four shots on target in 180 minutes against a team who had conceded 42 league goals this season <laughs> and 12 in six Champions League group games. And what did he say when he was asked about that after the game? What that, did you say? That's just statistics, was his comment. <laughs> <laughs> you can statistics. prove anything with facts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it must be really hard, though, for Manchester United fans to swallow this type of football. Because yeah, it's not what they're used to. Yeah. I mean, they have that song, don't they? But Jose's got us playing the way United should. He really hasn't. He really mm. hasn't. He's got them playing really dismal football. Um, and it must be particularly galling for them, you know, what's going on at City at the moment. I say that, you know, without meaning to ruffle any feathers whatsoever. It's the truth, isn't it? You've got one team on the other side of the city who are playing this kind of, the football that is supposed to be Manchester United's DNA. And you've got United going out of the Champions League in a, in a game that they should have been massive favourites. Yeah. Well, he'll be off to PSG in the summer anyway. <laughs> he'll, yeah, he'll win the FA Cup and say, I won four trophies. What, what more did you want from me? Four real trophies, as we said. Yeah, of course. I wonder if there's something going on with English coaches because, I mean, Arsene Wenger has just been going mad at Arsenal with some of the lineups he's produced now in the new year. Um, I think Conte did a poor job managing Chelsea against Barca as well. Ooh. And you just have to wonder because these are squads that have so much. It's like the better Guardiola does with Man City and the more impressive he is as a coach, the worse other <laughs> Premier League coaches oh, tend yeah. to get. It's like they get intimidated or something. They won't be getting any Christmas cards. Uh, Pep won't be getting any Christmas cards from them this year, I would <laughs> say. Uh, there was one thing before we move on to the Chelsea game. Those Mourinho quotes uh, that you mentioned, Emily. I sat in this chair twice in the Champions League and I knocked out Manchester United at Old Trafford with Porto and Real Madrid. So I don't think it's something new for the club. <laughs> Yikes. He's trolling. He's basically trolling his old fans. Yeah, and bigging himself up as well. I mean, I read an interesting comment from a United fan about this yesterday where he was sort of saying that that suggests that Mourinho doesn't really have a lot of passion for football. It's just a career for him and mm. he only really cares about himself and and all this sort of, you know, uh, sort of folklore that goes around him and the, the way that he was heralded as, as United's saviour and to get them back on track and get them back to where they belong it's probably not going to happen now and I don't think it's really any skin off his nose is it he'll just like we say go to PSG and get a nice fat payoff from them if he does leave and... but that's the thing right Mourinho has never hidden the type of guy he is he's never hidden his character and United knew exactly who they were getting when they hired him and they loved him when it worked well and now he's throwing out these comments which I think yes they're disrespectful I think they're tasteless but then again, it's exactly what Mourinho does. He likes to rile up the crowd. He likes to say all these controversial things. They knew what they were getting, basically. Yeah. Okay. As for the game in the Camp Nou, that was over in what? Three minutes? Mm, Two minutes? Much, uh... Yeah. That Leo Messi, it's a bit special, isn't he? <clears throat> oh. 
again, I just think he's the greatest footballer. You know, to come into a Champions League game like that against a team like Chelsea and just score two goals through through the legs of the keeper is that's just cheeky. Yeah, I, I did want to clarify. I don't know if you guys might know a bit better than me. Does Courtois get an assist for both of those goals? Yeah, <laughs> because they went through his legs. Because his legs were his legs were so wide open. I think they should have counted double. Yeah, uh, Messi. I, I did watching the goals again this morning. He, it's, it's. I sort of lost for words at this stage. He's just so good. He's just. He walks on the pitch and he makes it seem effortless. Uh, he has a team around it. I mean, he played some wonderful combinations with Dembélé, who's really, um, who's really showing his potential now at Barcelona. Uh, Luis Suarez there, who's always supporting Messi and gave an assist as well. But Messi just makes it seem effortless. He walks on. He's like, yeah, now I'm going to score, and you can usually see it coming within the next, mm-hmm. like the ten seconds before it, and then he just does his thing, and there it is. The third goal when he, I don't know if he saw this, but he. He sort of just comes out of nowhere for it too. And then the whole Chelsea defence is just caught completely by surprise. Mm. I think they, they thought he was too far out, like too wide to score either of those goals. And Courtois and the defenders were like, okay, well, he's going to pass somewhere. And suddenly he just he just taps it in and and he just carries his team into the quarterfinals of the Champions League. If I were Argentinian, I'd be very excited about the summer. Mm. If he goes into it on that form... I mean, he was in pretty good form going into the last World Cup, wasn't he? And the yeah. last few Copper Although Americas. Although he did have some injuries set him back in that season as well. That's and, true, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think as well that this is the best chance he's going to get at a World Cup ever. If you think about his age and then the coaches that he's had at Argentina, it wasn't always easy for him to perform. Maradona. But then again, you know, this is also a player who supposedly throws up before every game because he's so nervous. So there's also a lot of pressure on him. Really? I've never heard World that Cup. before. Yeah. Oh, Okay. I throw up before every podcast, but <laughs> it's a different thing altogether. You wanted to mention Valverde and his tactics. I think that he's done a great job. If you think about the squad, it's actually quite difficult. Players like Denis Suarez have, have fallen out of it, and, and he's kind of reverted to this 4-4-2 system. But I think he's done a great job at making it flexible with the players he brings on, because substituting a player like Dembele and bringing on Alex Vidal is a whole new kind of game and it just seems to work like Valverde knows exactly what he's doing he knows when to bring on players um in a lot of games his subs have made the difference as well um so it's interesting to see because similar to Dortmund a lot of people are saying okay Barcelona might not be as exciting as they were under Pep Guardiola when they did their whole tiki-taka mm-hmm. maze the whole world kind of thing um but they're being super efficient and I think a lot of that is down to Valverde using his players exactly where he wants them. He's also made Paulinho look good, which is one of the best things he's ever done. Uh, you wanted to talk about Chelsea? Yeah, we can, yeah. yeah. Did you have anything in particular you'd like to mention? Uh, well, Conte looks like a, a dead in the water. Yeah, we, we say that on pretty much every podcast. We do, think, don't, don't we? We, yeah. we got complaints um, about it too. Yeah, I mean, I thought they were... Did we really? Yeah, we really oh, yeah. I didn't, didn't know that. Yeah. No, somebody, somebody, I forget who it was now, but basically said, we don't know what we're talking about by uh, suggesting that Conte won't be at Chelsea next uh, season. Okay, okay. I mean, we can talk again next season when he's <laughs> not there. I don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I, I feel a bit sorry for Chelsea in that tie, really, because they went into it as massive underdogs. They performed really, really well at Stamford Bridge in the first leg. And then it was just a little bit of nouse that got Barca that equaliser. You know, Barca didn't play very well at, at all in the first leg. And... Um, you, you kind of thought, well, that's it for Chelsea now. And, and as you say, the game was the second leg was pretty much over within the first three minutes. Um, and then I, th- I thought Chelsea rallied and, and came back quite well. And the timing of that second goal just really killed them, yeah. didn't it? And um, I mean, they were never good enough to win the Champions League this season. Um, but I think they 
they gave a decent account of themselves on the two legs, I would say. Okay. Roma Shakhtar? I didn't see a sound okay, let's, second, I'm afraid. Let's move on from that one. Unless Emily, no. No, that's Another goal for Edin Dzeko. Yeah. When he played for City, David Platt said that he scores heavy goals, Edin Dzeko, in that he, yeah. scored, he always scores really important goals. And, uh, and that proved to be the case again against Shakhtar. Okay. Well, well done, Roma. Besiktas against Bayern, one of the many Champions League games that was over before it really began. That was brutal to watch. I what mean, a noise, though. It was incredibly loud. Mm. And then it got incredibly quiet when they scored their own goal, which just... You gotta feel bad for them. They're carrying a five-zero defeat from the first leg. Yeah. Then they're down one-zero, which are eight, you know. And but they're trying, and 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 they tried to score goals, and they tried to kind of go out with a bang and and make a difference. But then that own goal, I think, hit them right in the heart. Yeah. Heinkes had some interesting quotes afterwards about Neuer when he said he might be available for the World Cup or should be available for the World Cup. Uh, might be, should be. I think that's what we've been hearing for months. Um, mm. Similar to Neymar, it's probably going to be a matter of, of days and weeks before the World Cup to see how they progress. Okay, well, speaking of Bayern Munich, a quick look at the Bundesliga table tells me they're now a whopping 20 points clear. It's ridiculous. And if I'm not mistaken, Emily, they could be crowned champions this weekend. They could be crowned champions against Leipzig. How does um, that work out? They do need to rely on Dortmund and Schalke losing. Okay. Um, Dortmund is playing Hannover, Schalke is playing Wolfsburg. So, you know, is a Bundesliga inconsistency is kind of the key word this season there. So it might happen, but I don't really think they're going to be crowned this week yet. Okay. Um, but it will be when it'll be soon, basically. It's a matter think. of days, yes. Yeah. The Bayer Leverkusen goalkeeper Bernd Leno was talking about the uh, Bayern March to the title and he said, the people say that the Bundesliga is boring. Well, the run for the championship is boring. Boring? Average? Are we just Bayern haters? It's probably an excuse to fall back on not to give your best. I mean, okay, Oof. Bayern Munich has a lot Shots of resources, um, more so than, than any of the other teams. And they have won the Bundesliga the last five years and are about to be crowned again. But then if you look at it, Juventus won the last six Serie A mm. um, seasons. And this season has still been a fight for them. Um, so I think... There's no really fight for made... Bayern, though. What? There's no fight for Bayern. Yeah, but that's not because Bayern is so much better than everyone else. It's because the Bundesliga teams have really been not showing up to the games uh-huh. and, and the top teams have been dropping points against lower lower teams and, mm-hmm. and they haven't been consistent enough to keep up with Bayern. That's what I wanted to ask you. It's, is it Bayern to blame or you you think it's more that the other sides are just being rubbish? It's a little bit of both, okay. but I think it's more of the other teams not being up to par. Okay. Uh, this is all sort of linked to the Monday Night Football too. That's the first time I'm hearing of that. I well, I, think- sort of, I sort of think that if... If they push for this Monday night football business, there is the ability to potentially generate more money for clubs. More money than they can buy better players and then they can compete against the likes of Bayern Munich. The going against, and I can fully understand why they go against the idea of Monday night football, but going against it is sort of going against the competitiveness of the league. I'm playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a bit... That's a bit putting it black and white, um, Monday evening football, I mean, Dortmund is probably the most exciting uh, stadium to be in to watch a Bundesliga game. And when they had their Monday evening game, it was it was comparably empty. You know, there was no atmosphere. So yes, maybe this works out in the long run to get them more money to keep up to Bayern. But those are all, there's, there's so many ifs in that. Um, is that more important than, you know, or, or is respecting the, the fans more important? 
Like respecting the fans' wishes, I should. That sounds terrible. Respecting the fans' <laughs> wishes about Monday nights. So if the DFL called me and asked me, I would say yeah. it's more important to respect the fans' wishes because that's what the sport lives off. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can it be fixed? Because there is, I, I do think there's a bit of a, a is malaise the right word within the, within the Bundesliga? So, yeah. That there's Dan's giving me the nod. <laughs> uh, that there is, it's a problem. Like Bayern didn't even perform properly for the first half of the season. They're still 20 points clear. Come yeah, on. it's definitely a problem. Hey, and the way Dortmund gave away their their lead and then just went into a full on crisis, it was it was weird. It, it, there has to be a fix, of course. Um, a lot of good teams are losing their players to better teams abroad yeah. and and at home, like Goretzka going to Bayern. So it's difficult. It's it's a difficult situation. What would you do? What what would you do to sort of combat it all, or what what do you think can be done? Because you probably, I, I guessing Germans don't want to go full Premier League. Hmm. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, one thing coaches just have to get into is that it's not there has to be less focus on the top teams. Like when you play teams like uh, Köln and Heisfeld. I mean, it's uh, the the sports manager of Köln said that the only reason they're still in the race for staying in the Bundesliga is because the other teams have been so bad, oh, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, so if you're dropping points against a team that was basically said to be relegated during the winter break and now still has a chance of staying in, then you've just got to look around and turn plays and see like, these are the games that you have to turn up and these games are important. You can't focus on only your Europa League games or only the games against Schalke, against Dortmund, against Bayern. You have to show up against Hamburg as well. Well, maybe not Hamburg. Mm. Um, two questions then. Before our two final points on Bayern, uh, who'll be their manager next season? Because it's still so complicated. One minute it's Heinkes, one minute it's Tuchel. Uh, it's impossible to answer right now. Uh, there are a lot of good coaches in the Bundesliga that would probably do well at Bayern if you look at Niko Kovac, if you look at Julian Nagelsmann. But it's also unlikely that Bayern are going to go get a coach that hasn't won any significant titles. Um, so I would go with one of the one of the bigger names. I, realistically, I don't think Heinkes is going to stay. I think he's going to have to go back to his dog and, and his wife and, okay. and enjoy his retirement. They'll be disappointed Mark Hughes has been snapped off, I'd say, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was an interesting statement from Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo, recently. He said, Bayern have an extraordinary squad. They're currently stronger than the German national team. Who would win in a match? That'd be tight. I think that would be really tight. Assuming Bayern have the German national team players, let's say. So a lot of positions will be a very, very tight call. Um... Overall, with the likes of Lewandowski, Hamas, even still Robman Ribéry, I think Bayern would, would probably win that game. Dan? I'd go for it? Germany, actually, yeah. I'd fancy them to do it. You think Leroy Sané would? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> God, you think about their second team, Sané, Ter Stegen. Yeah, yeah, they've got two, two 11s, basically, haven't they, that are miles yeah. better than anything England could put on a field. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's take a quick musical sting and then we'll come back and talk about West Ham. All right. Okay, now last weekend was a bad one for Joe Cole. <laughs> remember Joe Cole? <laughs> I remember Joe Cole. Yeah, yeah, not only, not one, but two of his former clubs suffered pitch invasions from irate fans. Destroyed. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he Destroyed Lille, which direction he? the yeah. club was going in. Yeah, Lille and West Ham. Yeah. We might talk about Lille another day. <laughs> that West Ham one is a bit is a bit more interesting. Is, is distraught too big a word to use? The 
for the fans at West Ham? Not at all, no. I think it's probably quite a small word compared to, you know, the, oh, right. uh, the scenes that we saw on Saturday, yeah. yeah Miguel Delaney was writing in The Independent last week and he said, around West Ham right now, there is a toxic atmosphere of proper nervousness and tension and it goes way beyond what happens on a football pitch. That's not good. No, it's not. That's no. really not good. No. So before we get into where it's all coming from and why all the anger from the fans and all that, uh, just a quick summary for those who missed out what happened on Saturday. Yeah, so West Ham played Burnley at home uh, in the Premier League on Saturday. Uh, Burnley went 1-0 up in the second half um, and it sparked the first of four pitch invasions. Now, when you say pitch invasion, it, it wasn't like thousands of people running onto the pitch. It was one yeah. or two. Um, but but it also the the uh, the trouble sort of escalated in the stands. Um, obviously, a huge protest against the, the club's ownership um, and the, the sort of direction the club is going in. So there was uh, scuffling in the stands, people making the feelings known in front of the director's box. Uh, coins were thrown. Um, David Sullivan, who's one of West Ham's co-owners, was hit on the glasses with a coin. Uh, so he, he wasn't quite right on the, the glasses. Thankfully, yeah, yeah. Wow. Thankfully, he was wearing. Um, apparently, the other David Gold, the other guy who owns the club, was reduced to tears after the game. Um, very, uh, very sort of unsavoury scenes, but um, but perfectly understandable as well, given the, the sort of state of things at the club at the moment. Did you see the picture of Trevor Brooking? I did. Yeah, it was horrible, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. it broke my heart. Yeah, Trevor Brooking sort of stayed, stayed in the stoically stayed in the stands while it was all kicking off. Basically, the nicest right? man in football it's mm. reduced to just sitting there going, "What the yeah. is going on yeah. here?" Okay, so maybe you could then give us the background. Why, why are the fans so angry? Where's it all coming from? Uh, well, a lot of it um, boils down to the um, the move away from from Upton Park to the to London Stadium um, at the start of last season. Um, they've, they've they've moved to uh, Stratford, which is uh, not in the East End of London. It's uh, a little bit down the road. Um, so they kind of uprooted, displaced the club, and and the, the owners sold this as well. You know, this is our chance to really establish ourselves. We can we can buy some good players. We can start competing for European football. Um, and, and that just hasn't happened yet. They've, they've bought a load of has-been players, um, players like, you know, I hate to say it, but Pablo Zabaleta, who's not done very well since he's gone there. And you um, were his number one fan. Of course, yeah. Joe Hart has been dreadful for them as well. Chicharito hasn't performed. Chicharito's been poor. Um, the, the performances on the pitch haven't been good at all this season. They sacked Slavon Bilic and hired David Moyes, and I think he's taken 21 points from 24 games now, Moyes. And the fourth bottom at the moment, just to two points above the relegation zone. So there's a very real possibility they could be going down the season West Ham. And I think the fans are just sick of it. And I, I don't blame them at all. That's just a, the whole club is a mess. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's a lot There's a lot going on as well. They've, um, this sort of David Gold's social media, I think, doesn't go down too well with the, the club's fans. They consider well, what's, it, up, what's up with this They just media? consider it unprofessional, basically. If you ever looked at David Gold's Twitter feed, you'd is understand it, This why. is the owner, not the son. Uh, well, his son is also, I think it's David Sullivan's grandson, in fact, oh. uh, who who is also very heavy on social media and leaking player signings and stuff like that, which I don't oh. think goes down too well at all. Okay. And Karen Brady, who is um, who is also part of the, the ownership set up there, does a column in the Evening Standard, um, which, which again is considered a bit unprofessional. And I think she criticised Leicester at one point and, and that... What um, meant was West Ham missed out on the signing of Islam Slimani yeah. as a result in January. Um, they had that 
uh, racism storm with Tony Henry, the director of football, uh, not long ago, uh, where he said that they weren't going to sign any more African players because they caused mayhem. So yeah, the the, cl- the club is a shambles, and and you know, with all due respect to West Ham, and they're a club who I have a lot of time for, but they've been a shambles for pretty much my entire life for as long as I can remember, and. Mm-hmm. I think it's just really getting to the point now where the fans have just had enough. Yeah. And a lot of them are turning the backs on the club. And, uh, and Had you ever uh, been to Upton Park? I've been to Upton Park. I've not been to the new stadium, no. Upton Park was fine. Yeah. yeah I don't I mean, know what the need for the change was. I mean, it was a, it was an old stadium um, that was not falling apart, but on its way to falling apart. And, it wasn't and, in a terrible state of disrepair, though. No, but, you know, it's not the sort old. of place you can imagine that. Champions League football you know, being played in the future. I think that a lot of those old grounds are being phased out now. Yeah. Um, and I know from Perth, personal experience as a Man City fan that it's it's difficult moving away from your iconic home like that and moving to a new stadium but I think West Ham have really really got it wrong I mean from what, I've, what I'm told about London Stadium the, the, the seats are miles away from the pitch they've got the running track around there at the moment and there's just no atmosphere and you know fans who had, had sat together at Upton Park for uh, you know, many many years had been had been moved away from each other at the new ground and it just hasn't really worked for them at all and but they can't go back now because Upton Park's been flattened, so they can't... No. That's it now, they're stuck with it, basically. Tony Evans was writing in the Evening Standard the other day and he said, when they quit the Berlin ground, they left something behind, the club's soul. Mm. Well, actually, I, re- I read that same... No, it was a different piece, actually, from, from Jim Cairns in The Guardian. Yeah. Um, he said that the, the stadium is a soulless, scaffolded testament to hubris. And Boris Johnson. Yeah. And, and yeah, and bear in mind that, you know, they pay a peppercorn rent. They pay, I think it's 2.5 million a year for this stadium. So they've got essentially a free football stadium, but I, th- I think a lot of the fans wish they hadn't, they were still at their old place. Yeah. The Then there's all this business with the real West Ham fans. Mm. And the closed board have been talking to them. Yeah. So maybe this you, is a, maybe you could this is this is a little bit complicated, but maybe you could explain it. Yeah, again. well, basically, it's a supporters group called the the Real West Ham Fans uh, Action Group, um, who, who, as you say, they've met with the club and, and representatives from other fan groups have met with the club. There was a planned protest march in Stratford against the owners recently, um, so the club organised this meeting, which uh, tellingly uh, David Golden Sullivan um, weren't in attendance at. But Brady, um, Karen, Karen Brady, Brady was, was yeah. yeah. So they, they opened negotiations with the club. The club gave them assurances that things were going to get better um, and uh, and they decided to call off the protest march and things haven't got better. So now they're sort of saying, well, what, where do we go from here? Um, they've been criticised on sort of both sides of the political spectrum, really, because on the one hand, that a lot of people think that the sort of left-wing softies, the people who run this uh, Real West Ham's faction, uh, action group, uh, one of the guys actually a councillor for the Labour Party. Um, on the other hand, they're linked with the, uh, the inner city firm, the ICF, who people might know from the Green Street films and other sort of hooligan folklore, mm-hmm. um, who, are, who are very much a sort of old-style uh, yeah, hooligan group, basically. But yeah, a hooligan group from the 70s and 80s. Who, yeah, who, who still have a, a bit of... A bit of say in the running of the club nowadays, it, it, it seems, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the West Ham Independent Supporters Association. Yeah. I, I couldn't really work out what, what they are, to be honest. I, 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 I tried to do a bit of research. Non-partisan, non-profit was the words used on their uh, official website. I think they're yeah. just sort of straight down the middle, really, yeah. So it's, it's a complicated mess. It really is, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything that can be done to... We talk about fixing the Bundesliga. Can we... Maybe we can... Can't do that, <laughs> but can we fix it? <laughs> Can you have any suggestions to 
fix the uh, West Ham? Well, I mean, I hope for their supporters' sake that, um, that Golden Sullivan sell the club at some point in the not-too-distant future. And that there has been talk that this, this recent protest action has made them think twice about whether this is the right club for them and, and whether they might consider selling. Um, I mean, obviously, they've got to find a, a good buyer for the club after that. It, it could fall into the hands of someone even worse. You've got to be careful what you wish for in, in that situation. And in a way, relegation might not be the worst thing in the world for them. Oh, you know, a chance to go down and, and rebuild. It's worked for other clubs before. It happened to Newcastle and, you know, they look like they, they might stay in the Premier League this season having having gone down and, and reorganised themselves a little bit. Aston Villa are another one who were, had an absolutely dreadful season when they were relegated and now might come back up uh, at the end of this season. So Very hard to sell football clubs these days. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. yeah. There aren't too many Sheikh Mansours out there, unfortunately. There's, There's not anything of all the troubles that Ellis Short has had trying to sell Sunderland. Mm -hmm. Obviously... Um, Newcastle as well, and the name of their owner who completely escapes me at the moment. Yeah. I can't remember either. <laughs> no. That's embarrassing. Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley. Yeah, there my mind go. just went completely blank then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Mike Ashley, it's, it's hard. It's hard to sell yeah, a Premier League club so, these days. David Moyes? Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be a Premier League manager anymore, basically. That's... As simple as that. He could be. Okay. He could go have a second successive Premier League relegation, having taken Sunderland down last season. And uh, <laughs> as a few people have pointed out, he would still have a year left on the contract that was offered to him by Manchester United all those oh, years yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating fact about Manchester about David Moyes: he is still post Alex Ferguson United's most successful manager in the Champions League. That sounds so weird. Yeah. He got them to the quarterfinals. Is it not the semi-final? Bayern. Knocked them out, didn't they? Oh, well, Bayern United was semi-final, yeah. Yeah, thought so, yeah. That's done correct, mm -hmm. uh, One final word before we go, Mark Hughes at Southampton. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? But I don't think they had much choice, much sort of time to get anyone anyone better at this point. Deeply uninspiring. Nine, nine games to go. Um, he used to play for Southampton, didn't he? So you, you never know, he might give them a bit of a kick Sorry, up the backside. Sorry, he used backside. to play for Southampton? Yeah, do you not remember? Yeah. No, he played for Southampton, by. yeah, yeah. Sort of at the end of his career when he was grey-haired and just went around elbowing people all the time, basically. <laughs> he did that in the rest of his career. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. But deeply uninspiring. Yeah, but I do think it could be a bit of a, a catalyst for them because they've got some good players there, Southampton. They were absolutely insipid all season under, under Pellegrino. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully uh, Hughes will uh, <laughs> hit the ground running, so to speak. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Dan, Emily and producer Philip standing in for producer Damo who's off visiting India and Australia. Enjoy that demo and thanks for listening. <laughs>